Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses, well, the whole chapter. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? He said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says it is good, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Jonathan said to David, Come and let us go out into the field. So both of them went out to the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord? that I may not die. You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day, and you shall remain by the stone Ezo. I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I will send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come. For there is safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are behind you. Go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. 
king sat on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, it is an accident, he is not clean. Surely he is not clean. It came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. For he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. He said to his lad, run, find now the arrows which I am about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. When the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only David and Jonathan knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, bring them to the city. And when the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So again, some quick review. Saul is on the decline. David is on the ascent. In Israel, David is protected from Saul's violence. You remember the last chapter we went through. David is protected from Saul's violence. And the Holy Spirit even humiliates Saul. Um, Saul, at the end of the last chapter, is naked prophesying before Samuel, and um, that expresses a humiliation in, in the sense that his robes are set aside. And then we come again to this chapter that focuses on this relationship between uh, David and Jonathan. Uh, remember that Jonathan has a claim to the throne, obviously. He's the son of the king, and so he's the prince. And he had a claim to the throne, but remember, he's already laid that claim aside to David. He, uh, he's, um, he's laid that claim aside, and he's declared his loyalty to David. And we talked about this before, the friendship that they had, the covenant 
the covenanted friendship that they had. And um, more than just a friendship, but a covenanted relationship, one of um, serious import, serious import for the nation. Uh, David flees. Um, <clears throat> David flees now to Jonathan to to process what is happening. And notice his first three questions there, in the first verse of chapter twenty. What do you notice about those three questions? Yeah, they're questions of self-examination. It's hard to uh, it's hard to come to self-examination when somebody's tried to uh, stick you to a wall two or three times, right? Our inclination would be to, to would be to question John and say, "What's up with your dad? What's going on with your father?" But David comes to him, and his questions are self-focused. What is my sin? What have I done? What um, what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? And so he's examining himself before he blames Saul. He's examining himself, even though, I mean, even though Saul has tried to kill him several times, um, he doesn't say, what is, you know, what, is, what is going on with your dad? What is his iniquity and what, why is he sinning like this against me? That might be our inclination. We spend so much of our time blaming others for current circumstances, forgetting that God has has God makes all things new. God changes circumstances, right? God has made all things for you new. Hasn't he? He has changed your complete situation. Adopted into a new home, given a new heart, given the mind of Christ. The Spirit dwells in us. And we're going to you know, continue to blame mommy and daddy for all of our problems. You know, we're going to continue to blame our upbringing for all of our problems. No, 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 no. That's not how we should approach life in general. You approach with self-examination rather than blame. Um, you, are not, you are not first a victim. You are first a sinner who sins, right? And so this is right of, of David to come in this sense, even though it's obvious where the sin lies in the situation. He's still, he's still thinking about his own self. Um, do you ask God to reveal your sins to you? Is that a prayer you make? Reveal my sins. It's a, it's a scriptural prayer. You know, show to me even my hidden faults. Um, why do we do that? Because we want to pull the plank from our own eyes, etc. Um, we want to be holy as we go into every situation. Now, there's another, there's another approach to this. And uh, some of the commentators made this uh, comment on this. And, and it makes some sense. So David comes to Jonathan and says, What is my sin? What's my iniquity? What is, you know, what's going on here? And uh, Jonathan says, Look, my... Everything my father does, he tells me what he's going to do. Um, so, you know, you don't have anything to worry about. Essentially, what commentators say is it's likely that David is trying to wake Jonathan up to the dire straits of the situation. Like, Jonathan somehow is included into it, even though Jonathan has already told, 
Israel, all of Israel, that his father is a troubler of Israel, right? He already has a pulse on his father. And yet, you know, it may be true that here David is trying to wake up Jonathan to the, um, the, uh, the real trouble that's going on in Israel. He's trying to convince Jonathan of his father's wickedness. And then we move from there and um, we get the problem. What, what's going on here? Well, David is like, I'm a, there's a step, there's hardly a step between me and death. This is how bad things are, Jonathan. I'm going to die. Saul's going to kill me. And so David is trying to figure out a way to avoid this, um, what he thinks is coming at this, this meal they're going to have, this, this new moon festival. And verse 4, Jonathan says, whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you say, I will do. Again, that covenanted friendship that they have, that covenanted relationship. He assumes risk for his friend. Right? Jonathan assumes a great risk for his friend. Perhaps he doesn't know the full risk of it, but he's assuming risk for his friend. Um, this, is, this is loyalty. This is covenant faithfulness. They've made a covenant with vows toward one another. And Jonathan is committed to David, the king. He's committed to David, even against his father. Even against his father, who, would, who he could follow, he would follow with power. So he's committed to David, even to his own hurt. Okay, so verses 5 through 7. Um, David says to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. So I want to hide until this is over. I'm going to go hide out in the field. I want to live. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is a yearly sacrifice there for his whole family. Which we, we assume that that's not true. We assume that he's telling Jonathan to lie. Okay? To lie to protect him. And there are times when lies to protect those who are innocent are good. Okay? Um, Rahab and the spies, right? There's an example of a righteous woman lying to protect uh, the innocent in that situation. So, so um, <clears throat> if he says it's good, I'm going to be safe. If he gets upset, I'm going to die. So what, depending on his response to, uh, to what you say, we'll know what we need to do. Um, and then in verse 8, he says, Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. There's that covenant keeps coming up in this passage. That covenant between me and you. Jonathan and David have that covenant. Promises made. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For Why then should you bring me to your father? So, you know, if I'm guilty, just kill me yourself. And let's be done with it. Again, a statement of integrity, the integrity of David. If there's sin in me, and you're going to come and do your father's bidding, just do it, do it now. Um, <clears throat> Jonathan said, far be it from you, for, I, I should, uh, for if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then, I would, then would I not tell you about it? He, he says, I will tell you about it. If evil's coming, I'm going to tell you. Jonathan said to David, come and let us go out into the field. So both went out into the field. Then Jonathan, Jonathan 
said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. Those words are supplied. It's, it's really the Lord, the God of Israel. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So a couple things there. One, he's making another vow to David. It's another covenant. He says, it's like, if this happens and I don't make it known, then, then I've failed. Right? So he's, he's making these stipulations. He says, I'm going to take care of you. And then, verse 14, he asks David to covenant with him. And uh, if I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? Loving kindness of the Lord. That word I want to spend a little bit of time after a while talking about. Loving kindness. Does anybody know what Hebrew word that is? Hesed. Or chesed. Um, Hesed. That's a Hebrew word you should just know because there's not a really good English translation of it. We should just know the Hebrew and we should know the concept. Hesed. Um, If I am still alive, will you not show me chesed of the Lord? that I may not die. And then he says, you shall not cut off from your loving kindness, cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan is saying, once you're king and you've cut off all your enemies, please protect my house. Now there's good reason, right, for him not to protect Jonathan's house because what do kings do once they take the throne? Get rid of all their predecessors and rivals. Right? But Jonathan is saying, don't do that to my household. I will continue to serve you and be faithful. Okay, so he's, and again, he uses that word loving kindness or hesed twice there, um, speaking of this covenant. So, and then 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as his own life. Now, isn't that interesting that it couples the covenant-making with love? It couples the covenant-making there with love. And that is exactly what hesed is. Hesed, or chesed, or loving-kindness. In some of your versions, in some of your versions, it it will um, say steadfast love. Uh, The ESV uses that. Um, In the King James, it just goes with mercy, the mercy of the God. And, um, but, but what I want you to get to, uh, what I want you to understand is that Hesed is covenant love. It's covenant loyalty coupled with an intense love. And so, so that's why, you know, Coverdale used loving kindness. He sort of coined the word and it's stuck in our NASB, um, loving kindness, this, um, everlasting love but it's a covenanted it's a it's a love founded on promises now that's a weird concept today sort of it's a weird concept in the sense that um, love for us we we think of um an emotional uh an emotion a purely emotional response to somebody i'm in love or i I love somebody, and you're speaking of your emotional uh, content. 
But this loving kindness, which originates with God himself, God is called, uh, is hesed. And uh, we'll look at some of those verses. It, it is love that's cemented with, with promises. It's love that's cemented with vows. It's love that's cemented with covenant. Okay, and so um, really that, that's, that is so important for us to understand. Because love that's only cemented by emotion hits, hits troubles. Love that is cemented by covenant faithfulness and vow-keeping and, and before the Lord is able to continue through terrible circumstances. Right? I mean, think of, think of if, if the friendship of David and Jonathan was one of just, we've got so much in common. This is so great. You know, David and Jonathan and I, we can go hunting together and you know, we just, we like the same things, we root for the same teams, and, you know, the, when we get together, we just, you know, he finishes my sentences, we're just really good friends. You know, the minute that, the minute that Jonathan sees a whole kingdom in front of him that will be erased by him following his friend David, that relationship would quickly come to an end. But he's made vows to David. He's made vows to remain faithful to David. And so when, when his own father and all, the, all the, the power that he could have is set before him, he's like, no. No. I love David. I've made a covenant with my, my brother David. And so you see how, I mean, this, this is our relationships, right? What relationships do we, our relationships of love that we cement with vows? Marriage. It's the obvious one, right? Marriage. And so when things get rough, sometimes the vows are the things that keep you together because the emotions are gone. You're emotionally a wreck, right? But they don't, you know, that's, my emotions change from second to second, honestly. But then there are vows you take and you say, I made vows before God to be covenantally faithful. Um, what other things? Baptism. Yeah. Baptism. That's an interesting one, isn't it? We take vows at our baptisms, and baptism is God, God's sign and seal of His covenantal faithfulness on His people. And we take vows in that, and so we're, we're vowing to God... To be faithful to him, to raise up our children, nurture, admonition, Lord, all those things. We're taking vows. And God is vowing, in a sense, to be the God of our child. And so, there's, and so um, to remember that our relationship with God in the church is cemented by vows. And it's not just, you know, God is love and he loves me and he loves everybody. No, it's God is love and he has made specific promises that if he were to break, would ungod him. Right? It would make him into a liar if he were to break these vows. Right? God, um, I mean, think of Abraham and the sacrifice and the splitting of the animals and God passing through um, the animals saying essentially, that, let this be done to me if I am not faithful to these vows. That that's covenanted love. That's love. We could, that's the loving kindness of the Lord. 
And that keeps coming up in this passage. It keeps coming up between David and Jonathan. There are so many reasons why Jonathan should leave David behind. So many reasons he should just flee. So many reasons he should give up on this relationship because it's just going to get him in trouble and it's going to get him killed. But he, he loves him. He loves him in, a, in not, not an emotional sense, but in a covenanted sense. Um, and Jonathan is appealing to David for hesed. That's the word used in 14 and 15. You shall not cut off your hesed from my house. Your, your promised love, your love cemented with covenant. You don't cut that off from me. Now, um, we could go to, I mean, I have this feature on, on my um, Bible program uh, called Accordance where you can search a word and then, I don't, you're, you're a geek, you would know what kind of graph this is. Um, I don't know what kind of graph it is. But it shows you all the usages of that word and their frequencies. It looks like when you take it, like when you take a sample of soil and you put it in one of those things and then it shows you all the different elements that are in it. Okay, well this does it with Bible passages and I just discovered it. And so you, you plug in loving kindness and of course it's a Hebrew word so it falls in the Old Testament. And it's all through the Old Testament, but where do you think you find this word most? What would you say? The Psalms. Yeah, you've read the Psalms. You keep running up against this word hesed in the Psalms. And what are Psalms? Psalms are, are songs to remind us of God's covenant faithfulness, right? And so we would expect that we would see this hesed word keep coming up. I mean, Psalm 136, for the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting, it repeats every verse. For the hesed of the Lord is everlasting. The promised love, the covenanted love, the love cemented with vows is everlasting of the Lord. And so um, we also find it in verses like Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in hesed, abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Uh, So, so again, I, ju- I just want to I want to pound home to us that um, this loving kindness is not just in general kindness, God being kind, but it's it's that love plus loyalty. It's the love plus the the promised uh, commitment, the vows that come with it. Um, today, again, we've romanticized committed love. If if it if the feeling is gone, the commitment ends. The feeling is gone, the commitment ends. Hesed doesn't do that. The Hesed of the Lord did not, did not stop when his entire nation was apostate, was it? It didn't stop, did it? The Hesed of the Lord continued. Right? I mean, that passage we read this morning in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is talking about destroying the nations and and uh, the, the sins of the people, and, and half the book's been talking about the sins of the people, and yet there at the end of it he says, well, I'm not going to completely undo you, O Jacob. Right? And the promises of God are fulfilled ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can a commitment be more cemented than 
the incarnation of the Son of God as a sacrifice to pay for the sins that you've committed. Is that, a, is that, is that some solid proof of commitment on, a, on behalf of God Almighty? It's mind-boggling commitment. So we've romanticized committed love. If the feeling is gone, the commitment ends. Not so with God or with his people. We initiate relationships with vows. Think of that. We initiate relationships with vows. Baptism, membership, marriage. Those are initiations of membership. We, we covenant because we know, it's, we know our sinfulness. We know our sinful nature. We know the fickle nature of the human hearts. We know challenges will come to our emotional life, and that's when we fall back on the covenant. That's when we fall back on the promises. Of course, it's, it seems weird to say fall back. Um, this covenant, that covenanted love is what love is. It is always present. Um, even God is reminded at times of his covenant, even by God's people. God's people remind God that he is hesed. Um, Solomon at the temple dedication said, O oh Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. Remember your hesed. Remember that. Remember your committed love. The Psalm of David David in Psalm 25 says, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. So the context is one of where he's feeling the weight of his sins. Don't remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. According to your covenantal love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Yahweh. Remember me according to that, not according to the changing, changing, changing nature of my up and down. Psalm 136 is that repeated refrain for his, his hesed is everlasting. Um, So we could go, I mean, I, I skipped ahead. I was going to walk through the passage, and I just skipped ahead to the point I wanted to make. <laughs> the passage is fairly obvious in what happens. It happens the way it's outlined. And, um, and, uh, but I just wanted to point out that all throughout it, we see David and Jonathan relating to one another with covenantal language. And we see, um, we see Jonathan being very swift to say, look, covenant with me so that when... When, uh, my, when all your enemies are gone, I'm not an enemy. And, um, and then at the very end, go in safety. Uh, very uh, 42, Jonathan said to David, go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord. We've sworn to each other. We love one another. Biblically love one another. Saying the Lord will be between you and me and between my descendants and your descendants forever. This, this solid, lasting vow. Even in terrible circumstances, or maybe especially in terrible circumstances, we should be contemplating the chesed of the Lord. Um, lamentations, uh, in the middle of lamentations, the, the center point 
of Lamentations in, in chapter 3, where, um, I mean, he's been rehearsing the agony of the people of Israel. He's been talking about eating the flesh of their children and, and the dire circumstances they're in. But then this, this sunshine shines into the book of Lamentations, and guess what it focuses on? It focuses on Hesed. Focuses on the Hesed of the Lord. The Lord's loving kindness, his Hesed, indeed never ceases. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you know that passage. It's one of the, you know, we sing great is thy faithfulness, and we, we sing it over. And, um, but think of that word there, the Lord's loving kindness. That's just not the Lord's, you know, the Lord's... Um, you know, the Lord's kindness, the Lord's being happy with us. It's his covenanted faithfulness. It's his, it's, it's, it's his steadfast and promised love that if he were to break would be to break, um, break his vows, which would be to lie. The promises of God never fail, right? Do the promises of God fail? Can God lie? No, so if he has promised his love and he has consummated that love for us by the sacrifice of his son, do, are we foolish to doubt the loving kindness of the Lord? Yes, we're foolish. And having that example of hesed, it makes us be faithful to our vows. All those, all those situations where we initiated a relationship with vows. Love is remaining faithful to those vows. That's love. Yes, it's emotion too. Yes, it's passion. It's all those things. But it is much more than that. It is much more lasting than that. It is, it is vows you have made before the Lord. It's the vows like David and Jonathan made. I just want to close <clears throat> by remembering the chesed of the Lord. And I think a good expression of that is Romans eight twenty-eight through 30 in uh, the New Testament. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those, and these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, chesed. If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Amen? The, the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your covenanted love. We thank you for your, your unfailing love. And Father, we pray that in, in our relationships, in those relationships where we have vowed our love, and we have cemented our love with promises, Lord, that we would be faithful. That we would, that we would love as you have loved. Well, Father, if you were to break your promises, Lord, we would all be lost. We would all be condemned. And we see in our own lives when we break promises what, what ravages occur. What hurt and what pain what disorder comes of it. So I pray that we would, we would learn to love. We would learn to love by your example that you've given to us in Christ. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.